If worship does not change us, it has not been worship. To stand before the Holy One of eternity is to change. Worship begins in holy expectancy. It ends in holy obedience. That's going to be something we're going to contend with here at the beginning. And it's going to be something that we contend with at the end of today. I don't know how many of you are into history. Uh, It seems like Hollywood is getting into history because they're finding we're all getting very tired of remakes over and over and over. Uh, But there's two things that are going to go on with films right now. One is that you're either going to see a remake like The Magnificent Seven or you're going to see a real-life encounter movie like Sully. And we've got another one, Deep Horizon is coming out, right? And so I think they they strike a chord there with the public. That we love an inspirational story, don't we? That really happened in life. That really holds true. Because if it could happen for this other person, then what? Maybe it could happen for me. And essentially, we're all looking for hope. We believe that that hope is found in Jesus Christ. We believe that we have experienced that. We believe that unlike anything else that is around us, Jesus Christ provides that hope, that inspiration. And so this morning, as we continue in this essentials, if we're going to say that Jesus does this, Jesus provides this hope and peace for us, how does that happen? And how essential is it in our life that it happens? So we've... We've talked about sin, because if you don't talk about sin, then you're ignoring. And and maybe some of you remember that Sunday where I had my nephew stand here and just hit me for five minutes with pieces of paper while I tried to preach. And, And people are thinking, what is going on? And just talking about the fact that we want to pretend sin doesn't exist. Nobody wants to talk about sin. But yet, if something is having an effect on you, if something is having a destructive effect on you, we would be foolish not to attend to it. So while it's not necessarily popular to talk about sin, we think it's essential to do so. Then from sin we moved into the Word of God. And we did a two-part series on the Word of God and how important the Word of God is. And, and uh, I thought I'd step into the light there a little bit. And that was a powerful time. Then we did a two-part series on prayer and now we're on worship. Now, when we say worship... You're probably going to get, oh, look at that. It says prayer, the catalyst. I just thought I'd throw that subliminal idea out there. Not that I'm reusing slides or anything. So when you get this idea of worship in your mind, today, 21st century in the evangelical church, often we equate it. Can anybody make out what's happening in the background there of that graphic? Yeah, it could be prayer. Although I've never seen anybody raise their hands in here during prayer. It's probably music. When I went and pulled this graphic off of Google Images, which I love Google Images for my PowerPoint, uh, I would tell you 95%. I just put in worship under Google Images. 95% had everything to do with music. Do you know who's making bank off of the evangelical churches in relation to worship guitar center 
they are making so much money. There are so many people that have gone out and bought guitars and, and they're learning all these Chris Tomlin songs or Matt Moore songs or on and on and on. And, and they love it. But here's why I think is because we do something unique with our music here. We spend time singing together. I don't, I don't go to your house during the week. I don't jump in your car. Could you imagine? You get in your car and you're always playing K-Love and all of a sudden Pastor Jeremy jumps in your car with you on the way back home from work. I said, I just thought I'd worship with you in your car on the way home. You might get a little freaked out and never come back. You definitely will if you hear me sing. But we, we tend to just always equate worship with singing. So when I knew that this was on the list today, I thought, how can we really emphasize the power of worship? How does worship truly affect us? So we're going to go through this this morning based off of one Scripture, Romans 12.1. And as we do so, getting back to this idea of history, as you're turning there, let me tell you a little bit story, a little story about Captain Eddie Reckenbacher, or Rickenbacher. I don't know if many of you know who he was, uh, but a very um, decorated uh, pilot during World War II. Well, my story says two. He was decorated in two. He fought in one. Thank you for, for proving the pastor wrong. I quit. I'm just reading the notes, you historians. See, historians are literalists. You can always sniff them out. No, I appreciate that. I'm just kidding. But it does say World War II right here. For the sake of this story, just hang with me, please. Now I'm just going to read it. I'm not going to pretend I know this by heart because the cat's out of the bag. It's right in front of me. During World War II, the famous American pilot, Captain Eddie Rickenbacker, was flying on a special mission to the Pacific Islands. The plane crashed and Rickenbacker and his crew were lost at sea for 21 days. Rickenbacker wrote of that experience. In the beginning, many of the men were atheists or agnostics. But at the end of that terrible ordeal, each in his own way discovered God. Each man found God in the vast, empty loneliness of the ocean. Each man found salvation and strength in prayer and a community of feeling developed which created a liveliness of human fellowship and worship and a sense of gentle peace. No guitars. No drums. No hymns. No music. How can you worship? But you know, there was something very interesting that that he said here. I don't know if you caught it. Each man found salvation and a strength in prayer and a community of feeling developed which created a liveliness of human fellowship and worship. It's an incredible, beautiful picture of worship. This is what we're talking about. This is what God is talking about. So I thought, where could we go this morning? Let me hit one more time this quote. If worship does not change us, it has not been worship. To stand before the Holy One of eternity is to what? Is to change. Worship begins in holy expectancy. It ends in holy obedience. Let's look at our Scripture today. I was thinking as as trying to get my head wrapped around all the different places I could go in Scripture. Would I use an Old Testament story? Would I use something from the Gospels? And I rested on this verse. 
I don't think I've ever just taken verse 1 without verse 2, but today we do it. Today we do it. Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Nothing about guitars, drums, organs, or hymns in there. What are we talking about? Now, you guys all might get tired of me saying this. I love to worship through music. I, I, I have a gaggle of instruments at my house. that it, It's been too long since I've been using them. So I restrung them this past weekend and started playing, and it hurt my fingers. I've got, to, I've got to spend some more time playing. I love that part. But I have to tell you that spending time doing that with each other transforms me, changes me, for about 15-20 minutes on a Sunday. What about every hour of every day outside of that? Surely there has to be an answer to that. That is the secret that we will unpack in this verse. This is what spiritual worship is. So this morning, we're going to break it down. You know how much your pastor loves alliteration. So I'm surprised the word pastor isn't up there. All right. So we start with the plea. Paul says what? He says, I appeal to you. I appeal to you. Charles Swindoll says this, what comes from the Lord because it is impossible for humans to manufacture it? Wisdom. What comes from humans because it is impossible for the Lord to experience it? Worry. And what is it that brings wisdom and dispels worry? Worship. It's an all alliteration Sunday. Worship. Charles Swindoll is appealing to his brothers and sisters to stop worrying. How do you do that? For some of us, we would worry about stopping to worry. That's how we're wired. I'm going to try to think of five more W words to throw out there. Paul makes an appeal. He has spent 11 chapters in the book of Romans as he's writing to a very dysfunctional church. And what he does in those 11 chapters is he sets the groundwork for what is truth. You see, he had two groups that were fighting. You almost had your first church split in the Scriptures there in the church in Rome. And so what does he do? Does he start addressing all of the particulars? Great, great book on how to handle conflict management. No. He doesn't address the particulars for each group. He addresses what is right, what is good, what is true. Our state before God. He's saying God is paramount. God is first. I know you all are incredibly brilliant people. And we tend to think that about ourselves, don't we? We love to value our own opinions. We love our opinions to be valued. Especially when it comes to worship through music, right? There are so, I feel badly for worship pastors. They are so scrutinized. So scrutinized. Anybody writes a worship song, it is an instant invitation to be criticized, scrutinized, and, and, and uh, thrown out on, onto the uh, heap of CCLI. 
You want to you invite open criticism? Be a music worship leader. Because we all have opinions about the right way to do it. What is godly, right? What is godly with this? Well, here's what Paul's saying. I'm going to show you what is godly. And he's saying, I'm going to give you 11 chapters of this. This is what you focus on. Now he shifts in this first verse. And he's talking about worship, not opinion, not personal rights. He's talking about worship. And there's a key, there's a mystery, there's something significant here. And so he is pleading with this dysfunctional, warring body listen, please listen. Because this will change your life. Not just for 15-20 minutes on a Sunday. It will change your life every minute of every day. So there's a plea. He says, I appeal to you. That's the first part of this verse. Let's go to the second part. He says, by the mercies of God, this is the power. This is the power that Paul is appealing to. He spent all this time talking about who God is. God's character. God's holiness. And then he's saying what? By the mercies. What does that mean, by the mercies of God? It, it literally means this idea of, of compassion. Through the compassions of God. Through God's power, not your own. So he says what? Pay attention. This is so important. And he says, let's get first things first. It's through God that you're going to be able to worship. Not in your own power. So you have a plea this morning. And now we look at the idea of the power of God and it's His compassionate power. It's His desire, His benevolence to have relationship with us. And our role in that relationship is to worship Him continually. It is amazing this secret that Chuck Swindoll brings out. That when we are in a proper mindset of worship to God, worry cannot exist in there. No man can serve two masters. Worry cannot exist. We have a a very challenging scenario this morning with London. And many of us are worried about what is happening for her. I, I, I can tell you right now that it was a three to five minute seizure that she experienced this morning, and on a preliminary level, the medics believe that it, it could, could be associated with a fever. Alright, so we worry. But there was a reason why we talked to the Lord. And we have to place it into the Lord's hands. Because He is compassionate. How do we know this? You get to know who God is by getting in His Word. You get to know who God is because of your experiences with Him. And there's a great quote out of the Old Testament I want you to remember right now under this point. Remember the Lord your God. Where God's people failed and they tried to do it in their own strength. They would always fail. A prophet would come along and would say, remember the Lord your God. And when they did, they didn't have to worry. They didn't have to worry. So worship can can be so powerful that it eradicates worry in our life. Remember our quote today that that's something that changes us, right? 
That if we truly have worshipped, we cannot worship without there being change inside of us. That's what I want you to hold on to today. I mean, definitely hold on to the Scripture and how that works, how that fills in the blanks here. We should always refer back to that, but I want you to understand the very clear essence of measurable effort in worship gives us this understanding that there's change. When we are truly worshiping, there is change. So by the mercies of God, in other words, He says, I'm pleading with you. I'm appealing to you. Pay attention. In God's power, what's next? Well, the presentation. He says what? He says to present your bodies as living sacrifices. What does this mean? Well, he spent a lot of time speaking to Jews and Gentiles. And if you're going to talk to Jews and Gentiles that are just moving out of the law into grace, you're going to have an argument, and they had an argument going on about the old sacrifices. And how can we leave all of this? This has been our tradition. It's what God had set up. And Paul is saying, you are the living sacrifice now. So present your bodies. I get this imagery in my mind about Isaac. As Abraham was taking him, that there is this willingness, there's this attitude of worship that God is in control. As we read the story, we don't see a lot of worry. I mean, Isaac does ask the question, where's the sacrifice, Dad? But as the story is relayed to us, Abraham and Isaac, they don't waver. Because they knew their God. And they knew the compassions of their God. Especially in the light of the Canaanites and and other ites, right? That that would sacrifice their children. So much of what goes into that story is the idea of truly knowing who God is. And I believe because they knew who their God was, they knew that something else would happen. For you and I, it's a little hard, right? We're like, where, how could God require Abraham to sacrifice his only son? Well, here's the beauty of Scripture, my friend. Some of you know where I'm going with this. Have you ever had an example given to you that made it connect? My daughter spoke at FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, um, on uh, Thursday, Friday. And she just told me on the way over here this morning that she used an illustration about jelly bellies. Oh, that was youth group. That was youth group. See, I pay attention. I'm a very involved father. So apparently she was using an illustration at youth group about jelly bellies. And, you know, she was saying, you want to you wanna get the what flavored one? Yeah, you want the bubble gum, but sometimes you get the black licorice. And, and we had this, the, the elders were up at um, Hume Lake this past week with, uh, with Janine and I, and we were working on our mission and vision statement. And one of the things they did from the front first night, they called it volunteers. First thing you need to remember, whenever you do anything at Hume Lake, do not volunteer. All right? And so if, you know, you got the question wrong, you had to choose a jelly belly. And one was like, like cotton candy and the other one was just labeled snot okay and and you didn't know which one you were getting and you know so it makes you worried right it makes you stressed abraham and isaac didn't worry 
They didn't equivocate at all. Why? Because they knew their God. They knew the power of their God. But they were presenting Isaac as a sacrifice. Do you know why that happened? Was because in the end of the story, there is a ram that is provided so that Isaac did not have to be killed. Do you know what that is a picture of? We call it typology. It is a picture of Jesus taking our place on the cross. And all the way back to Abraham and Isaac, you see the thread of the Gospel. It's called the red thread of the Gospel. Going all the way back to that time, God knowing that eventually His Son would come and offer Himself for us. And so He builds in these examples and these illustrations into real life situations. The challenge for you and I is to stay in a constant state of worship, trusting our God, remembering our God. And when we do so, what happens? There's change. There's change. The presentation of our bodies. By the way, when you used the, the sacrifice, you used the sacrifice. So, let me help you understand. You didn't tell the, the, the ram, okay, your soul can go somewhere else, you know, temporarily. You can go do whatever. Or let's say, you know, your spirit can, you know, or we'll just use metaphorically your spirit and your soul giving yourself over to the Lord. No, we're going to use your whole body. And as we use your body, your spirit and your soul go with it. Okay, I know we're, we're not on the same page. Do rams have spirits and souls? My point is this, we do. That's why Paul says a living sacrifice. We're to present all of us. When they did the sacrifices in the Old Testament, they used all of the animal. And yet we are living sacrifices. Sacrificing daily. We have a challenge, my friends, in this society. A huge challenge. And it is a lack of worship towards God. Why? Because we're not living sacrifices. We're living sponges. And what we do is we bring these things into our lives that suck the life out of us. That do not allow us to worship. We probably have people here today... Oh wait, hang on just a second. There's people who aren't here today. Because, and I'm going to be real harsh here, but this is the reality of it, and your pastor stands before the Lord accountable for you. There are people here today because they're working. I understand that. Sometimes we have to work. My question is, how easy was it for the enemy to get us away from the church body? Did we put up any resistance whatsoever? Or did we just say, well, I have to work on Sunday. There are people that... Well, I could go on and on. About all the things that we let creep into our life that keep us from what Rickenbacker talked about, a harmony of spirits that concluded in incredible worship changing someone. And we wonder why we're always stressed. We wonder why we're always worried. It's because we've built things into our life that have become idols that strip away the worship to God. There's only so much your heart can attend to, right? 
And so if I give my heart over to this, and I'm not saying watching a football game is sinful. It is if you watch the Raiders. I'll just, I'm sticking with that. I'm not saying watching a football game is sinful. But for goodness sake, there's a thing called DVR. God, God probably invented DVR. I'll just say it, okay? So that we can be together as a body. But I always, somebody said this to me once and, and it stuck with me. What is your 30 pieces of silver? Do you know what I mean by that? A football game? That's what's keeping me from the body of Christ and being together. Here's the problem. There's not enough draw in my life. There's not enough love. There's not enough worship. Because I've made other things what? More important. I'm worshiping other things. Am I making this up? But it's not popular to preach. And by the way, I want you to know, it's a very safe preach point right now because y'all are here. So I'm not preaching at you. Right? Not preaching at you. Watch the tape. Those aren't here today. But it's true. If we're to present our bodies, it means a continual. By the way, it's not, we're not just talking about Sunday, right? We're talking about moment by moment, day by day. I got away a few weeks ago and, and I felt horrible because my poor wife was having to handle everything and do her sewing business and everything. And I'm, sit, I'm sitting on a beautiful beach at a private cove in Catalina. Not a person around me. And my poor wife is running all over the place. But you know, I spiritualized it and I said, hey, it has to do with me getting away and hearing from God. So good luck over there, you know. But you know, there is, a, there is an important element of that. That we pull away from all those things that demand our attention, our time, so we can worship. Build those things into your life so you are presenting, you are presenting, you are presenting your body, all of you, in worship and you will experience change. The participation. Well, what are we presenting our bodies as? A living sacrifice. We are to be a living sacrifice. By the way, this idea of present means to devote ourselves. To devote ourselves or dedicate or yield ourselves. To what? To being that living sacrifice. Let me, let me give you Jesus' words on this. He says, no one can be my disciple unless he what? He denies himself and takes up his cross. Hint, hint, this is that part that connects the Gregorians to the big question today. Now we look at missionaries and we say, that's fantastic. Here's my $100. I support you. Go. Instead of me, go. You don't have to go overseas to be in a constant state of worship. But God has something for you. But if we cloud our lives with so many things, unless we're willing to be living sacrifices, we miss that point of worship. So the, what's the picture this morning? If we present our bodies based off of this plea in the power of God, What's the picture look like? That we present our bodies as living sacrifices that result in being holy and what? What is that word? Acceptable. 
How many of us feel acceptable to God? Thank you, Scott. There's a lot of doctrine in that hand. You know, a big part of us would say, I don't feel presentable to God. I don't feel acceptable to God because I know my life. I know my sin. Get your eyes focused on the cross in worship, please. That's Paul's plea. Remember who Jesus Christ is. Remember what Jesus Christ did for you. Remember your God in heaven who is just and a holy God and desires our worship. Do you know that when I have that battle in my mind about being acceptable or being holy, I know my sin, but I have to trump that. I have to get this discipline of thinking about the cross and the grace that Jesus offers and that mercy that He offers. And that makes me what? Not just acceptable, it makes me a citizen of heaven. It makes me an adopted child of God. Amen? Now, the pursuit of worship changes us. And there are moments, there are things that we do. There are Holy Spirit-filled changes in our life where God is moving us from the old self to the new self. That happens through worship. That happens by sacrificing all of these other things that want to distract that are idols in our lives and getting our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith and pursuing Him. And as I do that, I come to wrestle with the idea of what does it mean to be acceptable to God. That's where we have to get into this, my friends. Because, husbands, you know what is acceptable to your wife. Right? There, there is some snickering. Men, get your ribcage protector out. You might need it right now. Husbands, you know what is acceptable to your wife and what is unacceptable to your wife. If my wife is work, she's like, oh no, he did it. He's going to a, a home illustration again. If my wife is working on something and I'm just sitting with the God of men, the remote control, and I'm laying in my Barca lounger and I can hear her in a flurry of activity doing things, I wish I could say it was a distinct, faint voice of the enemy speaking to get out of that chair and help my wife. No, it is the Holy Spirit saying, you lazy doof. Do you know the Holy Spirit says that? No. Saying, maybe you need to get up and serve your wife and, and help your wife with something. Right? I have to make a choice to set aside, to sacrifice what I'm doing so that I might do what is acceptable as a husband to help my wife. Am I saying it's wrong, men, to ever sit down and watch TV? No. I'm talking about the idea of I know what's acceptable for my wife to feel loved. In the same way, in the same, and she lets me watch a, a lot of sports. I just want you to know what a graceful woman this is and compassionate woman. God says it's not 
your sacrifices. It's not all the pomp and circumstance that I desire. He was saying this to David. What did he see? What did he say? He says a humble spirit and a what? A contrite heart. A true heart. God desires us to demonstrate righteousness because we've changed. Through worship, we are starting to become more and more like Christ. Why do we do that? Because we love Him. And because we're in a constant state of worship with Him. Let's finish right now with the prize. By the way, the, the key idea here is holy and acceptable to whom? Your pastor? Um, some spiritual movement? Um, Oprah? I have nothing against Oprah. Just saying. A lot of people follow, you know, Dr. Oz, um, you know, the latest self help books, um, politics. How many of you plan on watching the idolatrous debate on Monday night? Can you really apply this idea of not worrying about our nation because you know God's in control? Because the early church did. And they had some bad leaders. But they didn't worry. I can't say that about all of them. I don't know them. But I've read a lot of stories about the martyrs. And they were pleased to worship as living sacrifices to deny themselves as living sacrifices. The picture is to be holy and acceptable according to God. Not your standard, not my standard. Not a book standard, but by God. The prize? So we're laying out all this. Paul's laying out all of this. What does this mean? What's at the end of the rainbow, Pastor Jeremy? Well, this is our spiritual worship. This is our spiritual worship. If you read the verse, it says what? I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. We've got all that part down. We're doing that. And there's this big prize at the end. No. The idea is that what he's gone to great lengths and, and painstaking effort to describe for you and I is the expectation. This is the answer. This is what it looks like to practice spiritual worship day in, day out. One of the greatest worship leaders that started the whole worship movement within the evangelical church, Matt Redman, he wrote it into a song that was probably the number one song for five to six years. It was called The Heart of Worship. And he wrote a little book on it. And he has this statement in there that says, I'll bring you more than a what? A song. see this morning this is the reward if worship does not change us it has not been worshiped to stand before the holy one of eternity is to change worship begins in holy expectancy it ends in holy obedience everything that was in verse 1 of chapter 12 of romans is wrapped up in that statement and maybe a little bit more because this statement while not scripture please hear me clearly it paints the picture of the result of spiritual worship, which is change. Worship happens day in, day out, moment by moment. And the biggest encouragement I can give you is to pull away those things that want to distract and tear away at your worship. And what they will bring to you is stress and worry. 
Would you make that trade if you saw it right in front of you? I wouldn't. The hope of today's message is this, is that worship frees us. Worship gives us connection with the Almighty. Worship gets our life aligned. Worship leads us away from worry. Worship changes us. Amen? Amen.